Welcome, First Friends Church family. October is Missions Month, and we are talking about multiplication through planting disciples. We are excited to be partnering with and supporting the work of Stark County Young Life, as well as a new Friends Church plant in Cleveland, with the aim to reach the Indian population of that city. We are so glad to have you tuning in because here at First Friends Church, we live to glorify God together by loving Him, making disciples, and proclaiming the gospel. Now for this week's message. We lived in a number of different homes, but the last home we lived in before moving to Northeast Ohio was a high-rise apartment building, 26 floors, and we lived on the 11th floor. And we had an amazing view. And one thing that was particularly unique about it is that uh, the apartment took up the whole uh, half of the floor of of the building. So uh, we were able to see the sunrise from the kitchen and from the living room, we were able to see the sunset every day. And I was usually up first in our home, and I remember a number of times being in awe of the sunrise and debating about whether my family, whether they would appreciate being awakened in order to appreciate the sunset, if that would be a greater joy to them than sleeping more, or if they would prefer to sleep more and just have me tell them about the sunset later. Uh, Usually I chose the second option, but there were some times it was just too beautiful and too glorious, and I went and I awakened them and I said, I'm sorry, not sorry, come with me, you've got to see this, it is so beautiful. I wanted them to share what I saw, and I wanted them to be witnesses of that beauty of God's creation along with me. And that reality is true of most of us. We experience something impressive that challenges us or that leaves us in awe, and we want to share that with others. We want people to experience the same awe or the same joy that we experience through that. We want them to join us as witnesses. We're beginning our 2023 Missions Month today, as Pastor Scott shared earlier, and we're focusing on the multiplication of churches. We often call that church planting. But our theme for the month takes us a step back from planting churches and challenges us to plant disciples. And our theme is multiply by planting disciples. Now, you've often heard me say that all believers are disciples. Scripture doesn't give us a paradigm by which to understand a Christian who is not a disciple. But in the same way, we must go even one more step further back. The Bible does not give us a framework by which to understand a disciple who is not a witness. More than any of the other three gospel writers, Luke focuses in on the idea of witness and witnesses. Witnesses of Jesus' life, but specifically of His resurrection. Luke was the only gospel writer who was not an eyewitness of Christ's life. So we see in his writing the perspective of a historian. He seeks out eyewitnesses. He did a lot, excuse me, he did a lot of research in order to be able to write. He's very concerned with making certain that his readers know that there were many people who could personally attest to the reality of the events of Jesus' life. Today, I want us to take a look at the making of witnesses. 
through a story that chronologically takes place just in a few hours following the resurrection, Jesus encounters two of his followers, and from mere followers, he's going to make them into witnesses. Witnesses who are going to share the power of the resurrected Christ with others. And I would suggest that God's will is to make each believer, each of his children, each of us, into his witnesses. The account that I'm going to read this morning is often referred to as the Emmaus Road. Two men, followers of Jesus, walk along the road from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. We're not entirely certain exactly where Emmaus was, but generally historians and theologians, scholars believe it was probably about 20 miles from Jerusalem. So, on this journey, as they walk, Jesus joins them. And throughout the hike, we're going to see Jesus take the initiative through three specific steps to reveal Himself, and through each step of revelation, there's going to be a corresponding response elicited from the two men. If you don't have a hard copy Bible with you this morning and you would like to borrow one so you can follow along, the uh, ushers are coming back down the aisles now with some copies, and if you just put your hand up, catch their eye. They'll be glad to give you one. If you don't own a hard copy of of the Bible, then please just accept this one as a gift from us. You don't need to return it at the end of the service. I'll be reading from the book of Luke. As I mentioned earlier, Luke was one of four different authors who put together what we would call maybe today a highlight reel of Jesus' life. They're not really biographies because they don't come even remotely close to sharing everything that Jesus said and did. But these men, these four men, tried to distill the, the high points, perhaps what they understood to be the most important um, points in Christ's life, to pass them on to future generations. Luke is one of those. I'll be reading from the, the final chapter of his, of his gospel, chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. By the way, that same day that's mentioned there, that's the day of the resurrection, the day that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing Him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked Him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have been happening there these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. 
They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. First revelation, Jesus reveals himself by his presence. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Think for a moment the wonder of those words. If you're at all like me, you often feel as though God is distant. In difficult, painful times of our lives, we feel alone or abandoned by God, or maybe simply that He seems disinterested. And we question, Lord, why are you so far away? Just this morning, I read Psalm 13 in my quiet time, and David starts that psalm saying, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? I think this is exactly what these two men on the road to Emmaus were experiencing, what they were feeling. They're confused, they're upset, they're sad. They had such great hopes and expectations for Jesus, and in a few brief hours, those hopes are destroyed, dashed to pieces. Even though they've heard these rumors, right, these reports about what Mary saw and then the fact that Peter and John claimed that the tomb was empty, but they're unconvinced. They said, remember Peter and John, they didn't see Jesus. So we don't have real evidence of it. I mean, you've all heard the rumors, right? I mean, Elvis is alive, isn't he? And yet we're mostly skeptical, wisely so. So as far as these two men are concerned, Jesus has left them. He's gone. They had such high hopes for what he was going to do, except that he isn't. He's right there with them, even though, and this is what the text says, they were kept from recognizing him. I'm not sure that we can, with any, any great certainty, say why God chose to do it this way, like why Jesus chose to keep them from recognizing him initially. But I think it was because before they recognized him, Jesus wanted them to understand 
the kind of Messiah and the kind of Redeemer He is. And He also wanted to point out to them some ways. He wanted them to experience ways that they were going to continue to relate to Him even after He was physically no longer with them. See, these men were hoping that He would redeem Israel. That's what He said. And He will redeem Israel, just not from Rome. His redemption is unimaginably greater, deeper, and wider. And here's a quick application for us today. God hasn't abandoned you, even if you don't feel His presence. The fact that these men were kept from recognizing Jesus doesn't mean that Jesus was not with them. Hard times make us doubt that God is there because we don't have the relief that we so long for. But He is always near, even if we don't realize it, feel it, or recognize it. Jesus Himself promised that those who believe in Him will never be left as orphans because of the Heavenly Father who has adopted them and has adopted us. So, we'll never be abandoned. Trust that promise that He's always near. Trust in His presence. But then how do these men respond to Christ's presence? This is the first response. They accept it. I know that sounds kind of blah. Jesus comes up to them, and they allow Him to walk with them and converse with them. Jesus doesn't really ask permission. He's just there, and so they passively accept that. Maybe you've gotten on a plane and at some point, and you were hoping for a nice, reflective, restful trip, and the person next to you was very chatty. Maybe you're the chatty one. Also a possibility. Maybe I might be more guilty of that. And so, if you, if you picture it that way, Jesus says, I don't want to paint him in a negative light, but as, as the chatty neighbor on the plane, it's like, what, what, what do you do? You don't have a whole lot of choice, um, so you accept their presence. But accepting the presence of Christ for these men was a more passive event. Jesus comes, they don't ignore him or drive him away, they passively accept him. We're going to see a progression in these men from passivity to activity. But for now, they're passive. They don't know He's Jesus. They don't understand who He is or what He's done, but they sense somehow that this person is unique. Jesus comes present to them and reveals Himself in and by His presence. Secondly, Jesus reveals Himself in Scripture. This is a really fascinating, important fact because it shows to us how much God Himself values His Word and how essential He has made His Word to us. Because could Jesus not simply have appeared and said, hey guys, it's me, surprise! But instead, Jesus opens the Word of God to them. That's the way Luke puts it in verse 27 how highly God prizes His Word. And Jesus does this in part to show this progression, to show them how He fulfills all these prophecies, 
But I also think He does this because He's preparing them to live as witnesses after He Himself returns to heaven, to show them that His Word would continue to speak truth and continue to reveal Him even when He Himself would no longer be physically present. And this should give us today confidence in the sufficiency of the Word of God. We don't need the physical presence of Jesus in order to know Him. And we also may not use His physical absence as an excuse for not seeking Him. We have been given His Word, and we have been given His Spirit. We'll talk more about that in a moment. There were times where, for some reason, I needed to leave a message for my sons. And this was before they had cell phones. Uh, Seems like awfully ancient times. But I did this thing called writing a note. Um, Are some of you familiar? Anybody familiar with this? Have you ever done this? It was an ancient way of communication. Um, And so you would actually take a physical piece of paper and a a writing implement, and you would, you know, hammer and chisel, and you would chisel into the the, the paper, anyway, into the tablet, but whatever. So I'd have to write them a note and leave it on the kitchen table because I was going out and needed needed them to know something or do something, and either they were out too, and so when they'd come back, they would know. But regardless, once they had, had entered the house and seen the note, they couldn't say, well, Dad, you weren't here. So we didn't know what to do, or we didn't know what we were supposed to do. Sorry, boys, I left my word. I gave you my word, my written word, and you knew what I wanted from you. With these men, Jesus illustrates vividly that He is revealed, He is found, He is known, and He is understood in the pages of Holy Scripture. A witness must be growing in their knowledge and experience of the Word of God. A witness must consistently be reading, studying, and deepening their interaction with the Bible. And here's another side note, since we're moving into this concept of being witnesses. I realize that often in in a context of sharing faith, if we want to put it that way, of sharing our faith or talking about Jesus with people who don't know Him or who don't believe in Him. That we come up against this challenge where we're hesitant, maybe, to quote Scripture or to say things like, well, the Bible says so-and-so because we think, well, they don't believe that. So, what good is it going to be to use that? Well, here's the question. Is the Word of God true, and is it powerful? It claims to be both of those things. So, let me suggest something else. If you're talking with somebody who doesn't believe in electricity, does that make electricity less powerful? So, if you were to take a positive and a negative live wire and say to them, hey, you don't believe in electricity, right? Okay, then it won't make any difference if I touch you with these. Is that correct? I I don't really recommend that you do this. It's illustrative, right? So we get this. All I'm saying is we don't simply fire off Scriptures at people when we're talking to them about Jesus. But the Word of God is powerful, 
and affirming its truth and affirming what it says, whether the person believes it or not does not diminish its power. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, these men respond to the revelation of Jesus in the Scriptures in a particular way. They still don't see who He is, but nonetheless, His explanation, His exposition of Scripture elicits an active response from them. This is the first active response we see. Previously on the road, they simply accepted Christ's presence. Now, presumably after a couple hours at least, they're actively urging and inviting Him to join them. That's the next step. They are inviting Him. They would have been free to let Jesus go on, right? They'd, had, they'd shared this conversation on the road. Jesus had pointed out this stuff from Scripture, and He acted as though He were continuing His journey. They could have easily said, hey, thanks for the chat. God bless, you know, I don't know where you're going, but go in peace. He had made it clear, apparently, to them that he was not stopping in Emmaus. So, if they had just said goodbye, that would have been the end of it. But they took the opportunity to invite Jesus in, into their room, into their meal, into their lives. And uh, I think I've told you before, part of Brazilian culture is that when you offer something to someone, an, an initial offering generally is refused because you're, you're, you're trying to find this balance, this cultural thing where you want the credit for offering something, but if you don't really mean that you're offering it to them, you only offer it once. And then it's always polite initially for the other person to refuse it the first time, right? And then you kind of do this little dance back and forth until you finally convince them, no, I'm really truly offering this to you. And then they can really truly accept or not depending on their desire. So these men... They don't just, the way it, it, it's, the way Luke wrote this in the Greek, they didn't just say, hey, you know, you want to come in? No, okay, go on, you know. Like that half-hearted invitation where I'm just trying to be polite, but I'm really hoping you won't stay. They strongly urge him to remain with them. They really meant it. So these men have moved from passivity to activity. And as I was working on this and preparing this, I had a strong impression that there are some of us here that are stalled in this sort of gray area between passively accepting and actively inviting. You've been exposed to things about Jesus. You know some things about His Word and about Him, and maybe you're very comfortable there. You're okay with Jesus coming alongside you. You might even be okay with a little chat now and then. But so far, you've been okay with just passivity beside you, but not with you and not in you. God is calling you today to that next step. As with these men on the road to Emmaus, you may not completely understand Jesus. They didn't. You may still have doubts. You may even still question some of Scripture and say, I'm not entirely sure how to interpret this or how this fits. But just as with these men, listen, it's time to invite Jesus in. 
Don't let him continue on his journey. Today, now, urge him to enter your soul, to take over your life, to live in you by his Spirit. These men invited Jesus in even though they did not yet realize all that he was and all that he had done. And finally, the third revelation of Christ in this account is he's revealed in his work. When did these men finally recognize him? When he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. Those phrases should ring a memory bell in those of you who are familiar with Scripture. We can know that this is not incidental to them, but deeply important because they make a point of emphasizing it to the other disciples when they get back to Jerusalem. That's what they said. We recognized him when he broke the bread. And the breaking of bread, the sharing of that meal with them, what's the image? Today, it's the image to us of the communion table to them, it was an immediate reference to a meal just two days before, well, three. Luke records that meal for his readers, and he records Jesus participating with the exact same words in the exact same sequence. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. The broken bread representing the broken body of Christ. Jesus' sacrifice, the pinnacle of his work on behalf of all humanity. And the emphasis here is clearly sacrificial, the sacrifice of Jesus that brings us life. By his wounds we are healed, and it's in that moment they recognize him. That allusion to his broken body, to his finished work on the cross through the resurrection, he has recognized. How do they respond? These men respond to the revelation of Christ in his work, in his sacrifice, by going and telling. Immediately, they are now proclaiming. Remember, it was evening. And if those calculations are correct, a 20-mile walk isn't minimal, especially not in the middle of the night. And what happens? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They get back, they find the 11, and the 11 are going nuts because the 11 are saying, it's true, the Lord has risen, and Peter saw him. And then these two guys are like, wait, 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 you don't you don't know anything. Just let us tell you what, what we just experienced. Jesus walked with us. He talked with us. He showed us all through Scripture who He is. And then, and then we, we were like sitting at the table, and we were about to eat, and, and Jesus took bread, and He gave thanks, and He broke it, and He gave it to us. And it was like, it's Jesus! And then He was gone. And we had to come tell you. We had to come tell you. The followers have become witnesses. Now, there are two sides to that term, witness. Initially, the way we use that word today, there's the passive sense, right, of someone who sees something happen. So, you witness an event. But then, there's the active sense in which the person who witnessed something becomes a witness, like, like in court, 
They bear witness. They share what they've seen or what they've experienced. So these men witness the life of Christ, and now they are bearing witness to others. So, you knew eventually we were going to settle here, right? Are we witnesses? Are, are you a witness, or have you stopped at accepting, or even stopped at inviting? God calls us all to witness, to be a testimony along with these men to the death, resurrection, redemption, and transformation that Jesus has brought to you. And so, to those of you uh, who are stuck, or those of us who are stuck in passivity as it relates to our witness, is there or are there parts of your life into which you need to invite Jesus? And what if we look at ourselves and we honestly say, you know, I'm not, I'm not a witness, or at least I'm not a very good one. I'm often scared to talk about Jesus, or I, I just don't, I don't know how to start. I don't know how to bring it up. I don't know how to step into that conversation. I don't, I, I, I'm, it's awkward, and, 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 and I, I, I feel like I'm not going to have the right thing to say, and that they're going to have arguments and questions that I'm not going to be able to answer. The message behind this is, is not just try harder, and it's not the Nike slogan, just do it. Because in this sequence that we've seen here, Jesus was always the initiator. He's the one who came alongside them. He's the one who revealed himself in Scripture. He's the one who broke bread, and ultimately, he's the one who revealed himself to them. All three of these revelations are still with us. Christ is present to you and to His church by His Spirit. He's here. He is with you. He is with us. So we cannot use that as an excuse. Oh, well, you're not here anymore, Jesus. If you were here, it would be so easy. He is here. And we know from reading the other Gospels that Jesus' physical presence didn't make it easy for His disciples to believe and to live as they should have and to make the right decisions and to be good witnesses for Him. In fact, quite the opposite. His Word is still with us. In fact, His Word is so much with us that we often have become far too familiar with its presence and not nearly familiar enough with its content. Is His work and what He's done and His power and His love and His filling still with us? Absolutely. But these men were witnesses to what they had experienced, not to what they had read or been told about. 
And there's a difference. So for us, the challenge isn't just try harder necessarily, right? It's to go back to the revelation of Christ in His Spirit, in His Word, in His work. Uh, I've talked before, I kind of talk about it a lot because to me it was a cool event, meeting uh, Pelé or Pelé, um, Brazilian soccer player. He died last year, but um, considered one of the best of all time. Got to meet him once. And when, when I talk about him now, like it's one thing to list a bunch of stats. Like any of us could do that. You could Google um, him and list all his stats and know many ins and outs about his life. But when someone has met them, the, the kind of story that they can tell is far more personal and you get a much greater insight. It's the same with any famous person. That's why there are so many interesting stories on YouTube or, um, or on Facebook or other social media where uh, individuals, kind of normal everyday people like us, have these momentary encounters with celebrities, and then you, they kind of get a, a little glimpse into what they're really like. Sometimes that's positive, sometimes that's negative. But those kinds of stories are, are far more fascinating than just a list of stats and bare facts. So we forget that the power of our witness is in describing very simply what we have experienced. What has Jesus done in you and for you? And see, that can't be challenged. Do you understand what I mean by that? It's like if we, if our witness is exclusively in the realm of debate, and I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't enter into logical questions and logical evidence that would point to the veracity of Scripture and of the resurrection, but I'm saying if, like, if we're limited to that, that can be challenged, and people will challenge it. I'm not saying they're right in their perspectives, but they can challenge it. And when I say, look, I understand you may not believe Scripture. I understand that you don't even believe in God, but I want to tell you what He has done in me and for me. And I know the next thing is a lot of us say, oh my goodness, well, my story is so boring. Let me tell you something. You were dead, and now you're alive. That's not boring. That's not boring. We become, we become so conversant with it. And for those of us who think we have a boring, quote-unquote, conversion story or a boring witness story, it's because we've forgotten just what Jesus saved us from. I am a profoundly arrogant person. And Jesus saved me from that. And there's a lot more. And we don't have to convince people of the truth, we just have to share it. Convincing them of the truth is up to the Holy Spirit. But if we never speak and we never share and we're never honest about what Jesus has done for us, then 
How is his word, how is his truth, how is that good news, how is that gospel supposed to grow and move, and how are disciples supposed to be planted, and how are churches supposed to grow? And just closing, in John chapter 9, there's a story about this man who was blind from birth, and Jesus heals him. It's an incredible story. After the healing takes place, the religious leaders are incensed. They are so angry that Jesus did this. That's a whole separate issue that we don't have time to get into. And so they track him down. First, they track down his parents, and they say, what's going on with this? What kind of fraud are you perpetrating? And the parents are like, I don't know. He's an old man. He, you know, he's a grown man. Ask him. They just kind of wash their hands of the whole situation. They track him down, and they're grilling him. It's like this interrogation over and over and over. Well, who was he? What did he do? How did he do it? And this is his response. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Here's his response. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Go back to the presence of Christ. Go back to his word and remember and celebrate his work in you. Then bear witness to what you have experienced and what you know. Let's stand together. As we continue to worship the Lord through song and through music, the altars are open. And so, several different invitations here. First, if you are stuck in that place between passively accepting the presence of Jesus and actively inviting Him into your life, and the Holy Spirit is compelling you, today's the day, invite Him in. Come to the altar. It's just a, a physical representation of what's happening inside. Um, or perhaps you have simply realized that you have forgotten the joy of His presence, His Word, and His work, and you just want to come in a reaffirmation and a re-entering into that joy, a reminder of that, then feel free to come. Um, or maybe there's just been a conviction, the Lord saying, you, you know all these things, you've experienced all these things, and now it's time to get past that block of not witnessing. You've witnessed passively, now let's witness actively. And if you want to come and have someone pray with you or over you, come to this side of the altar. If you like to come and pray and worship alone, come to this side of the altar. We'll respect your privacy. Let's worship the one who has revealed himself as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. One way you can connect further with First Friends Church is through our website, firstfriends.org. There, you can learn about our equip groups as well as our upcoming events for all ages. On Sundays, we gather at 9 and 10.30 a.m., and we'd love to see you there. Have a great week!